0: Your Bibles to Matthew chapter 17. We're continuing through Matthew and entered into chapter 17 last week. It's verses 14 to 23. Uh, there are times uh, in the Christian faith and the Christian church throughout the history of uh, the church when believers in, in churches experience great highs, uh, revivals, great conversions, times of reformation individually, a deeper sense of the glory and majesty of Jesus Christ, a deeper, stronger yearning uh, for the presence of Christ and for His Word in our lives, those mountaintop highs. There's also times, though, that God has orchestrated and ordained for His people the experience of the valley down below, uh, the valley of human suffering, uh, ministering to what seems like an impossible circumstance or serving or ministering to a very difficult individual. Uh, Both of those, the mountaintop as well as the valley, are are ordained uh, for the Christian. They're a part of the Christian journey and Christian uh, life. And here in Matthew chapter 17, the disciples go from the Mount of Transfiguration, which we saw last week, down to the valley of human misery and The struggle of their own Christian faith, and that's what we see unfold. The struggle of faith, even the failure at times of faith. So Matthew chapter 17, beginning at verse 14. Listen now to God's word. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire, and often into the water. I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly, I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. As I mentioned, as you consider the 17th chapter of Matthew and move through it, you see this contrast between the glory of Jesus Christ up on the Mount of Transfiguration uh, with the tremendous uh, difficulty that the disciples are facing in their own ministry uh, down in the valley. But You might have noticed it's more than a difficulty that they're experiencing. It is this sense of failure. Uh, You could have entitled this sermon, The Failure of Faith. That's what they're experiencing. That's what they're sensing. Uh, The father of this boy says to Jesus in verse 16, I brought my son to your disciples and they could not heal him. What happened? Why could they not heal him? Why the breakdown? Well, the breakdown of faith here in part becomes uh, all the more clear when you consider it in light of chapter 10. Do you recall chapter 10? This is the great chapter on missions with Jesus was preparing his disciples to send them out, the 12. And you come to chapter 10, verse 1, and this is what it says. He called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, and to heal every disease and every affliction. Verse 8 of chapter 10, Jesus says to them, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. Perhaps one of the reasons that Jesus empowered his disciples at this time is because at this time, as we think about biblical history and God's unfolding plan of redemption, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, has come. He has inaugurated His kingdom. He has, in a sense, put His foot down, and the weight of God's presence and power and grace is established. And as a result, what happens? The spiritual world, the spirit world, kind of comes alive. Uh, it's why we read so much through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of many spirits, uh, evil spirits, the demonic, uh, human misery at a tremendous When the kingdom of Jesus Christ is established in a community, in a culture, uh, it makes a ripple effect. It disturbs things. The, The spirit world comes alive. It's responding to the presence of Christ's rule and reign, whether that's in the first century or in the 21st century here in Coventry. Christ's power and presence in and through us is to affect The surrounding culture, it ought to have that kind of effect, including human need and suffering, just as with this father and his boy. This is anything but a private matter. This is affecting the public and uh, the crowds and people. But of course, we see there's a problem. The very thing that Jesus commanded and gave his disciples authority to do, they cannot do. And this story, it's so relevant for the church, so relevant for believers today. It raises significant questions. How do you respond when your faith feels ineffective? When you are sensing a struggle in your faith? When you are unable or feel unable to carry out the very commands that Jesus has given to us? What does an effective faith look like? What is success in ministry and service and of carrying out the commandments of the Lord as His, as His people? The disciples want to know later, why couldn't we cast it out? What, what happened? The, the questions, I think most important, center on the subject of faith, if perhaps you noticed that the faith takes a a central role in in this text. We we hear of faith or little faith or faithlessness a few times. Verse 17, Jesus said, A faithless and twisted generation. This is a whole category of people that Jesus seems to be identifying here. You also have the disciples uh, whom Jesus identifies as having little faith in verse 20. Not faithless, but little faith. And then a third time you hear about faith, in verse 20, this mustard seed-sized faith. This faith can move mountains. And so faith is at the very heart of this story, and we want to therefore know or at least recall what defines biblical faith. In In our confession, in the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 14, it says this about faith. Quote, the grace of faith whereby the elect are enabled to believe to the saving of their souls is the work of the Spirit of Christ in their hearts. It is the result of God's grace. It is the grace of faith. It enables a person to believe to the saving of their souls. It is the work of, spirit, of the Spirit of Christ in a person's heart. Uh, this is what we read in, in Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 2. It is, by grace you have been saved through faith. By grace through faith. Uh, Faith is not the source of your salvation or my salvation. It's not the cause. It is the instrument that unites us to the one who does save. So it's not so much a ticket that a person receives. It's much more like a rope that unites a person, their small life raft, to that great vessel, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the author of faith. And that rope will not break, but that rope will endure many trials, many winds and waves, troubled seas at times through the journey of the Christian life. But then the confession says this about faith. Quote, this faith is different in degrees, weak or strong, may be often and many ways assailed and weakened, but gets the victory. Growing up in many to a full assurance through Christ, who is the author and finisher of our faith. So, faith is a gift of God. It unites us to Christ, It perseveres. It gets the victory. But is different in degrees. And it can be strengthened. And it can be weakened. It seems to me the disciples perhaps did not forget the role of faith, the significance of faith. But they may have forgotten the source of faith, the sustainer of faith, the one who continues to sustain and give strength, right? almost detaching themselves from the source in a practical way. Now, many of us carry around one of these. If you can't see this, this is a cell phone. Many of us wish we did not carry around one of these, probably. Right? Uh, this is simply an instrument, it can be a very powerful instrument, has a lot of data and information, can be used for navigation. For leisure listening to music, right? can store uh, addresses, contacts, very very helpful, powerful tool and instrument. But we know this will not be useful for very long, at least, unless you have a really high-powered battery, I suppose. Uh, without this, right? This is the power cord charger. This has to be connected. This is like faith. And yes, in the analogy, you are like a phone. Okay? (laughs) Of course, neither of these are of any help or effect if the charger is not attached to a power source, who is our Lord. And in practical ways, every single day, Christians, people who have saving faith, will act in unbelief, Almost detached from the very power source who is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we read of Achan earlier in Joshua. Acting in unbelief, that's what sin is. It's an act of unbelief. Now I want us to notice here as we move through this text, the environment, first of all, that shapes the, the, the context that challenges the, the disciples' faith in the first place. Consider the environment. It's there in verse four, 14. And when they came to the crowd, who is they? Well, if, as you compare the Gospels, you learn that the they is Jesus with Peter, James, and John, who were up on the Mount of Transfiguration. They came down. Uh, Luke tells us it was the day after. The Mount of Transfiguration. They come to the other disciples, and a man comes up to Jesus and kneels before him saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures. He suffers terribly whenever uh, he, he often falls into the fire and often into the water. I brought him to your disciples. Now, this is an, a very simple, but I think very important point. The disciples are the ones specifically sought out to provide mercy and help. We don't know a lot about this man or his son, but we know he and his son are in need. And who do they go to? They went to the disciples. Followers of Christ are people called upon to exercise mercy, compassion, help to those in need. Uh, This is what Jesus has demonstrated to them through the gospel thus far, and it's what he has taught them. We think about chapter 5, the Beatitudes. Blessed are the merciful, he taught them, for they shall receive mercy. Or later, when you give to the needy, assuming that you are giving to the needy, or love your enemies, that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, who pours out his rain on the just and the unjust. So we, as people, indeed, are needy, but we are also people needed. The disciples had that reputation. Why does this man seek out the disciples other than the fact that they have a reputation for exercising help and mercy to others? Beyond their their own group, even. So the text may rightly lead one to ask themselves, am I known for meeting the needs of others? Do I seek to meet the needs of others? Is the church known as a people and place of compassion? Ed Welch, the Christian counselor, uh, said, God's premier self-description is, quote, the compassionate and gracious God, Exodus 34. we We read that self-description uh, throughout the scriptures Exodus 34 Numbers 14 Psalm 86 and elsewhere. He says this means that both our pain and prayers affect him and he has us on his heart. He takes our burden on himself and remembers us. As we imitate our father, we want to feel the burdens of others too. Every one of us have needs. The disciples had needs. And yet, as they're following their Lord, they're learning to see the needs of others. This is the second great commandment, Matthew 22, which we will come to in a few chapters. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands rest all the law and the prophets. And so we are to be praying, Lord, help me, help me to get my eyes off of myself, to see a world of need around me, to reflect that compassion, to see the lonely, to see the ailing, to see the downcast, to see the impoverished, to see the hurting. You should not overlook this throughout the Gospels. This is central to Jesus' ministry. And uh, there, uh, the disciples are sought for help. So that's the environment established here But then we read in verse 16 the man, the father, saying to Jesus, I brought my son to your disciples, and they could not heal him. The disciples are facing an opposition, a struggle from at least two places. One of them, of course, is from their own heart there's a struggle or failure of faith. The other is not so obvious. Uh, Did you notice verse 17, what Jesus said? O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to bear with you? How long am I to be with you? Who is Jesus speaking about here? John Calvin says this, Jesus has been graciously extending mercy to others. Why now does he suddenly flare up with such harshness? Where does this come from? O faithless generation, how long am I to bear with you? Well, if you look at Mark's gospel in chapter nine, uh, we are helped from Mark. Mark 9:14, we read that when they, Jesus, Peter, James and John, came to the disciples, the other nine, or the others, there was a great crowd. Luke told us that it was the next day after the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus, Peter, James and John come to them to the other disciples, and there's a crowd. And not only a crowd, there's an argument going on. It says the scribes were arguing with them. Out of the crowd uh, comes this man. The crowd approaches, greets Jesus. Jesus asks them in verse 16, what are you arguing about with them? And here's what Calvin says. The disciples probably had tried to heal and were unsuccessful. And so the scribes exult as the winners, and not only jeer at them, but also snap their fingers at Christ as if it was his power that had failed. You see the picture? It's the scribes. The faithless generation are most likely those religious leaders continuing to undermine Christ's ministry, discredit Christ and kind of jeer at his disciples. Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to bear with you? Notice our Lord's response. He doesn't argue with the scribes. He doesn't say to his disciples, let's depart from there. He says, bring the boy here to me. Bring the boy here to me. Right in the midst of the crowd. Interestingly, it's almost the exact same words Jesus said back in chapter 14 with the feeding of the 5,000. The five loaves and the two fish. The disciples say, what are we to do with these? Jesus says, bring them here to me. It's an important lesson. Whether it's the few resources that we have, that seemingly insignificant gift that we possess, a personal ailment or pain... We're told exactly what we are to do with it. Bring it to the Lord Jesus, and he will work, and he will minister, and he will sustain, and he will help. These words, bring the boy to me. I think there's insight there for the disciples and their struggle of faith. Perhaps it's what they did not do with their faith, or were not doing. They asked Jesus later in private, why could we not cast it out? What did he say to them? Because of your little faith. It it would have been easier if if we read, because this is my eternal plan. This was my sovereign plan from eternity past. But, But that's not what he says. He says it's because of your little faith. So what's the problem? Jesus says, little faith. But then notice what Jesus says immediately following. The problem is little faith. And then he says, For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. The problem is little faith. What's the solution? Little faith. A mustard seed size faith. Confused? What is Jesus communicating? What is the problem, little faith? All you need, though, is a grain of, grain of mustard seed, size faith. It seems to me that Jesus is communicating the weakness, the inability of the disciples in their own strength. So when we read in verse 20 of that little faith, That is the disciples operating, very likely, in their own strength. And there's a word repeated through the text, the English word, unable. It's in verse 16, 19, and 20. Verse 16, I brought him, my son, to your disciples, and they could not. That is, they were unable to heal him. We read it again in verse 19. The disciples asked Jesus, Why could we not? That is, why were we unable? Same word. And then in verse 20, we read it a third time. If you say to this mountain, Move from here to there, it will move and nothing will be impossible. Unable. Nothing will be unable for you. A third time, the same word. So the story is not so much about the healing of a boy. It's about much more narrowly, the ability or inability of the disciples. How did they become become unable? How did power and ability and strength become weak? What happened? Well, again, Mark's gospel helps us here. In Mark 9, verse 29... After the disciples privately ask why they couldn't cast out the evil spirit, Jesus says this This kind can only come out by prayer. This kind can only be driven out by prayer. It's very likely that the disciples, though they had been given authority by Jesus, though they had demonstrated success in the past in their ministry, they kind of fell into what I'm going to call a power assumption. Sort of an effectiveness assumption. Assuming that because we were effective in the past, we will certainly be effective now. Forgetting the very source of power, right? the very source of effectiveness, who is the Lord Jesus. And so when in Mark's account, it says, uh, prayer, this, only, this kind can only come out Through prayer, we know prayer is a or the central evidence of a person expressing dependence upon the Lord. You were unable because of your little faith. It's a way of saying your effectiveness and your power rests not upon your abilities or your knowledge or your eloquence or your personality. It rests upon me. It's a reminder. It's a lesson for the disciples. I think that's at the heart of the story is actually a teaching moment for the disciples. It's why there's not a response after the healing from the boy or the father or the crowds or the scribes. Where's the attention? The attention narrows right in, in a private matter, between Jesus and his disciples. And that's where the gospel writers go. That's the emphasis. There's a teaching moment here for the disciples. Where does faith come from and where is faith sustained? How is faith sustained? And there's a whole lot to learn from this story. I'll mention just a few lessons. One, failure is not something to be feared. Now, Christians can, we can fear failure. Yes, the disciples seem to fall short here. They indeed do. But what do they do in their failure? They do exactly what believers ought to do. Lord, what happened? They seek the Lord. Help us us understand. Help me understand. And so failure is actually turned into an opportunity to learn, in this case, about their dependence upon the grace of Christ and the power of Christ. We should not fear failure in our service of the Lord. Two, we should be reminded that the true source of help and restoration and life is not us. It's, the it's not the disciples. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the extent to which we bring people to him and his presence, God's will and power is Manifest. Do we believe that our Lord Jesus is the source of life and restoration, new life? Three, faith, as we see in the story, is not as simple as turning on and off a switch. It's not like as simple as plugging your phone into the wall. We don't turn it on and turn it off like a simple switch. In fact, in Mark's account of the story, the father says, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. A little insight into the complexity of faith. I believe. And then sometimes I act in unbelief. Faith is a gift of God. It's sustained and strengthened only by the presence and power of Christ. And then four, like this suffering boy and his father, we ourselves or those we know may be suffering physically, emotionally, mentally serious and deep ailments, and yet the ultimate remedy is not a temporary physical healing. Though we desire healing and restoration, we pray for healing and restoration. Mentally, physically, this boy would be healed and yet live to face the wages of sin, which is death. The ultimate remedy is not a temporary healing. The ultimate remedy is the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. The one who gives everlasting life. And so the Father, the Son, the disciples, they go to the source of ultimate restoration and life, Christ Jesus. And we're to do the same. In our needs, in the midst of the needs of those around us, we continue to go to the Lord Jesus Christ. No wonder Jesus continues right after this, continues to speak about his necessary suffering and death and resurrection. That's where he's headed. That's what we read in verse 22. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, he will be raised on the third day. Jesus continues focused upon his ultimate goal to bear the cross. We desire and we pray for temporary healing and restoration. Uh, But our Lord is fixed on accomplishing for His people an eternal redemption. An eternal redemption. That's why Paul can say in Romans 8, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, they're not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your power, uh, your power to heal even more, O Lord, your power to save unto eternal life. We thank you ultimately, Lord, for the cross and the resurrection, the newness and everlasting life that we have by your Spirit through uh, grace. We pray, Lord, that we would continue to seek you in the midst of uh, the struggle and at times sense of failure of faith. Lord, uh, hold us still, causing us to be uh, continuously united to you. We thank you, Lord, that this gift of faith, it cannot be ultimately broken, but you cause us by your mercy to persist and to persevere. Uh, Lord, indeed, through the winds and the waves and the storms of this Christian journey in life, Lord, we seek you, um, for in you is life. and We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.